Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, friends. Have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach, and within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I talk with a beautiful soul, Eileen Grimes. Eileen is an author, she's a mother of two as well, and a women's leadership community leader. We discuss her journey into the place that she is today, which is both as an educator and as an author of a wonderful book called The Us Journal, a journal of love and discovery, which is about creating open and heartfelt communications between parents or parent figures and children. We discuss her own childhood where she felt very invisible, not that she wasn't taken care of, but that she was a people pleaser. And I'm sure many of you can relate because being a people pleaser is really wanting things to go smoothly, but it often shuts down what your own internal Uh, joy might bring, your own desires. And so it was a very interesting exercise of her own where she imagined her tombstone and imagined her eulogy and what would she say? What would she have brought into the world? And that really was a pivot point for her to be the person that she wanted to be. And to do that, she went through therapy, she went and got a lot of tools, and she shares those with us. She shares them as a mother, as a parent, and as someone who has an inner child who hasn't yet healed some of those underlying areas where we have stuffed down emotions or not felt connected to who we are and who we want to be. I hope you enjoy this conversation 
with Eileen today. Welcome, Eileen. So happy to have you on here today. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. <laughs> well, you have a lot of things in your resume, but I'd love to start off and learn about you and how you have come to the place where you are today. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always funny because I um, have done a couple podcasts and things and I've been told from a media coach, it's like, oh, well, you'd give them the, here's the direct line to where you were. And it's never really that clear. <laughs> you know, if you talk to anybody, there's so many lessons learned along the way, but I can give you sort of the the path that, that gave me this direction. Um, and um, so growing up, I was a middle child of six. And if you've ever heard anything about middle child syndrome, totally lived it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, um, wanting to be heard and feeling seen. And, um, for me, that was, I, I did the best by sort of being the perfect child of following the rules and saying yes, and checking the boxes and doing, doing and going on the path that I was supposed to, um, more so than the one that might've felt true for me. Um, so through that, um, I'm just curious if you don't mind me asking, um, yeah. when you, cause you did, you do write about this feeling of being invisible when you were younger. Mm -hmm. What is that like for people? And there's, I'm sure there's people listening that can probably relate, even if they're not amidst five siblings. Yeah. Um, what, what was it about your childhood that made you feel that way? Mm. So twofold. Um, one was in the taking of that role of people pleaser, which mm -hmm. basically means a, a selfless, right? The, when we say selfless, to me, that means I don't have a self. <laughs> I, the, the self that is me no longer really exists. And I'm there simply to say yes, no, um, well, not even no, right? We, we say, yes, I do the things that you ask me to do because I know that's going to make you happy. I know that's going to help calm any situation that exists rather than saying, well, I have a need and this need is this, and that doesn't necessarily align with what you're asking me to do. So for me, the invisibleness of that came from not having or knowing what my true self was, because I just pushed all of those things down. I, I didn't have a self to turn to because I didn't know what it even was. Um, and for me, at least. Um, and then even just being amidst the chaos of so many people, it's like, I have to, you know, you have to like force your way into a conversation or just to even be heard um, was so difficult. And I mean, love all of my family and it's still difficult. Like it, you, you can be both. You can have that dualism, right? Of, of the loving and also still struggle with the needs that you have. Um, and that gets complicated, you know, from, from an internal thought perspective to say that, well, I can love something and still be hurt by it. Mm -hmm. um, and so those were sort of the two things for me is this, this lack of even knowing of myself um, and then just trying to even have a place, like what was my place in our family? And I mean, it's taken a lot of years for me to get to a, a point where I'm feeling comfortable with myself. I'm feeling strong. I have boundaries. I have all of these things that make a self a self. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's for me what that invisible part really speaks to. 
And what are some of the tools that you used or the epiphanies you had or situations that really almost forced you to reckon with this, like, who am I? And I mean, I think this is probably very um, universal for a lot of people that you go on a path, whether it's a path that you do for path of least resistance, just to please or, or path that there was expectations and um, haven't had the, the opportunity to discover what, what it is that you're passionate about, who you are. How, how did you come to this uh, mm-hmm. reckoning? Yeah. And I want to first say it's never too late to get there. Yeah. There's lots of, there's lots of little kids in, in adult bodies walking around feeling the same way. You know, who am I? I, I'm just doing this job or doing this performance in my life and it isn't resonating. It doesn't feel like it's coming from, um, who I want to be. Yep. Absolutely. So for me, it's taken, it's been a journey really has. And Some of that was having experienced different forms of abuse through relationships um, and even a lessening of myself over time. Right. Even though there was there was little to begin with, it was like a loss continuously of these these sort of cuts and scars that that came along the way. Um, Part of it was um, when we realized that my my spouse was an alcoholic and for me, that was, it's sort of like, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's a horse, it's a horse, it's a horse. I'm like, no, it's a zebra. There is a zebra here that I need to attend to and really hit the reality of what that is and means for me. What, what do you mean us. by it's a zebra? Well, because you, you get on that path, like everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's always the same thing that I've experienced my whole life. To me, that's, you know, when you hear that, like, if you hear footsteps or you hear foot um, hooves, it's a horse. It's definitely a horse. That's the norm. That's just the norm of things that happen, right? This is the reality of life that I know has always existed, but then all of a sudden I turn around and it's a zebra. And to me, that was it where it was like, I have to admit that things are different than the perfect reality of what I thought was is no longer. And how do I start changing around that? How do I how do I get to who I need to be now knowing that this exists? Was right? there a moment you realized that you, your husband had this addiction or did he realize it? Or were there many moments strung together that just kind of uh, escalated it into some kind of explosive reality? Yeah. I mean, there were moments certainly along the way, but it was definitely once I became pregnant with my son that, um, the real reality of it hit. Um, and I mean, I, I did, I wrote an article about it, but, um, there was one day when I was getting close to, um, his due date and I, I was at the point where I was like, I, I might have to get a taxi to go to the hospital or well, birth center for, for me, um, knowing that this was a problem, mm-hmm. that it was a real problem. And I, in order to take care of myself through that, had to make different, I had to make different decisions. I had to make changes in the way I was thinking about things. So in that, for me, was the, you know, just being pregnant with him and becoming the mom that I needed to be for him 
made such a huge difference. And I mean, I just, in the day he was born for me was an awakening. I, I, I say that, so I have my son and my daughter and I say that the day my son was born, he opened my heart and just like, Mm -hmm. I get tears from it, but Mm -hmm. like to open this space of like, I exist as this whole person and have to be this person for him wholly so that he can see that and, and become that person for himself. Um, and that really pushed me on this journey of finding therapy for myself and really understanding who I was and what I wanted to be in this world and deliver into this world and create. And there's something beautiful about, um, I mean, whether or not you have a child or you, you know, love plants or <laughs> animals or whatever, it's something about the, the creation side of, of life. Um, it just hits you differently. It really, once you take a step back and say, I'm from me, this came into the world and I felt like I could take that forward and start learning about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then honestly, in 2020, it was actually when I started with the journal side and I was still, I was still working my full-time job. I'm still am, but I was, I was working my full-time job at the time. And I was still, you know, I was doing a lot of the internal work. I'm like, what am I doing outside? What, what am I, how am I presenting that to the world? Um, and I actually decided to write my eulogy, which was wild. Um, a lot of people look at me really funny for that, but it's fine. Um, but it really took me a moment to say, to, to really sit in it and say, what have I, what have I done? If I were to leave today, what is the impact that I'm leaving behind? What is, I mean, legacy is a big word um, and whether or not that rings true for you, but um, you know, you have this one opportunity in your life to, to leave things behind, leave a world behind what is it that you want to have done or accomplished or seen or felt? Um, and I cried. I just, I cried so much because it wasn't that, that, that eulogy was not what I wanted. That was not the thing that I wanted to hear. Um, so then I wrote another one and it was the one that I knew I redefined what success was in my life. Not what anyone else told me it was, not what society says, Um, and really the impact of what I wanted to have on this world. And that was creating something that was more loving, more kind and more connected. Um, and that's, uh, where the journal then started to take off. Wow. So tell us about this journal. Um, (laughs) it's to, to, I mean, first of all, to, to go inward and have that kind of just investigation of like, what am I doing in my life that is contributing in some way to improving the world to, um, and like you said, it doesn't have to be legacy, but it's like something tangible and something that is clear, that is on track with your values and et cetera. Um, But then to then take it another step and think I want to, I mean, in a lot of ways, obviously what you wrote in that eulogy of who you want to be must have been something like you want to share some um, tips or ideas for other people. And is that how this the journal was born? Absolutely. Yeah. So 
what was interesting is we I had been doing a lot of this stuff with my kids anyway. So it actually existed. I think I started in 2018, sort of writing some of this stuff down, doing some of these activities with my kids at the time. Um, and then thought, how do I how do I bring these things to the world? I have, you know, my master's in education. Um, I've worked in developing leadership programs for women. Um, and so there was a lot of sort of some of those characteristics that went into it and understanding child development. How do I help them to start to see themselves earlier? Like I wanted to be seen as a child. How did, how did, how can I help my kids to not feel invisible? How do I let them know that the people they are is enough and that that continuous self-reflection um, is important for them, but it's also really important for the relationships that we're building. And um, so, so the journal came from activities we were already kind of doing together. Um, and it was just something I really wanted to share with the rest of the world. Um, so it's a, it's a collaborative journal. There's um, on every, on every, you know, flip page, there's a prompt for the child and then a prompt for the adult. It says parent, but I was, intentional about making it to be really for any loved grown up that's in that child's life because not all homes are the same not all family structures look the same and um i wanted to make sure to reflect some of that within what i was doing but um yeah the the goal here really is to have um i don't know about you but i tried to read all the parenting books and it was like oh my gosh there's so much information how do I do it now? <laughs> like how, mm -hmm. do I, right. how do I actually put it into practice? Um, so for me, it was like, how do I give people a tool they can just use now? They can take it and sit down right away. I'm, I'm a busy mom. I'm working full time. I've got two kids. How do I have something now that I can just do with my child? Um, so can you give an example of, of a prompt that is... Uh, that is in your book and, and what you have found personally that prompt has, has brought forth from your kids and from you. Yeah. Um, so there's, I have some serious ones and I've got some fun ones cause you know, it's, I wanted kids to approach this from this, this can be fun and enjoyable rather than just, Oh, it's another serious talk with, with my parents that doesn't inspire. <laughs> um, continuous conversation, right? Um, so um, one of the more serious ones, so for me, feelings were a big thing. That's something I've really worked on through working through EMDR and, um, can and just- you, Can life. you tell everybody in case they don't know what that yes, is? Yes, I'm sorry. That's okay. No, just- Yeah. Um, I actually don't even, I don't remember what it stands for, but it's basically, it's a form of therapy that um, uses this uh, bimodal sort of whether it's visually or auditorily or um, through physical movement, um, sort of a back and forth. And so what it does is it helps your brain to sort of relive these experiences you've gone through um, and process through the emotions and feelings that you had through that where they might have been stuck for a long time. So, um, you know, I had a sexual assault that I, I worked through with this and... Um, in a, in a safe space that allows you to go through the emotions and the feelings you had to help you move forward in your own life. And um, so, so for me, the act of having emotions and feelings was new when I went through EMDR. It was like, oh my goodness, 
this is what fear feels like this in my body, my whole body. This is what joy feels like. And having that experience of what an emotion is, was astounding for me. (laughs) No, Um, you're right. I mean, EMDR stands for the, um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, I think that's it. And it, it is that feeling of like, we have a spectrum of emotions. And if you don't feel the fear or pain, you also are, you're dull to the, the joy and lightness, right? So it's like, it's all in there and you're tapping into it through this kind of, um, therapy guided, uh, technique is, is really powerful. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, so for me, that's can also be in running. So I like to do that because I get that sort of, um, bilateral movement and continuous Mm -hmm. stuff. So for me, that's, I found opportunities to be able to do that even outside of therapy. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so some of that for me was important to include in this. Like how how do you see and feel your emotions and um, your feelings when they're in your body? So I wanted to have those conversations with my kids. Um, so so even I can just, I'll show you, I don't, I don't know that your audience can see, but um, there's two kind of gingerbreadish figures in there. Um, and the prompts for both, um, sometimes the prompts are the same, sometimes they're different. But for this one, it was the same. So it was when I get nervous, I can feel it in my body and it feels like, and then you can draw in, in your body, how that feels. Mm. So both the parent and child have the opportunity to share what they experience when they go through that. And then it becomes a conversation and an understanding and really seeing of each other to say, oh, okay, your tummy gets really, your tummy feels really tight when you're feeling nervous. Now I can understand when you say you have a stomach ache or, you know, whatever. So whatever you find out, and that's the beauty of this. It actually opens the door for more conversations and more understanding between each other. So that for me, having some of those was really important, really just to even start having one, the body awareness of what, of what these feelings feel like for ourselves. Um, and if they don't, well, this is okay. So this is how mom feels or dad feels or grandma or grandpa. Maybe now I can self-reflect on what that kind of feels like when I'm going through that. So, um, some of the modeling side of things from, from the teaching, you know, perspective comes through, um, for being able to share that as, as the parent as well. So um, I love that you have it like that they don't necessarily even have to have a word. It can just be that drawing and that that can then be uh, an an avenue into talking about what, like you were saying, oh, your stomach looks like it's like a tornado in there. That that feeling is really tough. And what do you do when you feel that way? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and those mother are just fun ones. You know, if I could decorate my room, it would look like this. And then the, the grown up is when I was your age, I would have wanted my room to look like this. So just a sharing. And, and even for us parents, it's like, how do we, sometimes it's important to get back into the mindset of our children when we were that age, because our brains are developing, their brains are developing entirely differently from the way that ours work and really having the moment to be empathetic and in their shoes is exceptionally helpful when you're trying to parent a child that's going through some 
big emotions potentially or whatever it is and taking a second to say, okay, I would have reacted like that. How could I have used help when I was my child's age? Can you give any examples of how this has worked like over, I know you mentioned that this really came to uh, fruition over the the beginning of the pandemic and having two kids that were being schooled at home and having <laughs> to deal with a lot of, of what they were experiencing, which, um, you know, their lives were changed dramatically. Ours were too. And sometimes I think as adults, we were focusing a lot on how our lives were changed, yeah. not seeing how that was impacting our children in a very, in a, in a huge way. I mean, my kids were older, so but I would always think out loud and say to my friends, I can't imagine having younger kids and having to contend with this change in school scheduling, staying at home, trying to do school at home, um, losing the connection of being with their, their peers. Mm-hmm. Were there any examples during that time that you felt like, oh my gosh, I'm losing it, and then you were able to draw from some of the things that you had in the journal and that helped you and your children? Yeah. Um, I mean, so I think what, for me, at least like there was a sort of general feeling from the pandemic. Um, my, we had some academic struggles certainly, um, for, for my children. And some of that was a reconstruction for myself of what, what all the supposed tos are, right. It's well, by second grade, they should be doing this by third grade. They're supposed to be doing this. And, you know, I had to let go of some of that and, um, just even being able to be there to know what they needed in those moments. So, um, I mean, I don't want to speak and (laughs) say which of my kids, you know, had some issues, but it, it was in, in, you know, sitting with talking with teachers and things like that and, and really understanding what they need rather than being, frustrated or upset that they weren't where they were supposed to be and just taking the minute to be empathetic enough to look around and say I mean you've lost literally all the things we're telling you this world that you're living in is unsafe (laughs) um and I'm actually seeing a lot of those impacts now too um where for the past two years we've been telling our kids that things are unsafe (laughs) in one way or another right and now to tell them, oh, it's fine, isn't enough. It's 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 how do we help transition them? How do we how do we help make them feel safe or safer or at least comfortable enough to say I can talk to somebody if I don't know what's going on? If I'm getting into a situation that I don't feel great about, how do we have those kinds of conversations? And I've seen that with my kids, but through, through the journaling, through the different conversations that, that we've had together um, and just the wanting of the connection. That was one of my, um, one of the folks who uh, has done the journal and reached out to me and let me know that their eight-year-old son at the time um, was, was doing the journal and, you know, they were kind of working on their relationship and it was hard, but um, he actually started it and then wanted to do it every night and asked to do it every night. So the the desire for even having that intentional time um, is a huge benefit, right? To say that I know that I can be here for you for these five, 10 minutes that we've got. We can talk through whatever it is that you need to, or just sit together what in whatever way, shape, or form that's helpful for you. 
um, you know, that's, that's what I've found has been really helpful overall for them is just to open that door for connecting and sharing of experiences. And, you know, my son was able to talk to me about a bullying situation that he was experiencing. And I feel like a lot of that is because he felt comfortable enough to be able to talk about those things. Um, so yeah, it's, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of, there's it's a not lot. Just, yeah. It's not but just it, in the moments of the journaling mm -hmm. it's after it because you've built those connections. Right. I was going to say it's the, it's the practice has been kind of encoded. So when feelings come up, it's, they're not, they're not trained to just smother them. They're, they're more inclined to share. And I just love that you took your experience in childhood, you know, without any kind of shame or negativity and just knew that you wanted something different and developed this, it sounds like a beautiful creative toolkit for both parenting and also for the kids who are growing up. Is there, would you say there is anyone else that you think this journal is good for? I mean, is it, uh, is it mostly for the parent, parent figure and child, or is it, is it for anyone else? Yeah. I mean, it could be for it really, honestly, it could be wh whoever sort of that loved grown up is in that child's life. Um, mm -hmm. someone that wants to connect, whether it's an aunt or, um, you know, maybe they have someone, a, a foster parent that they're really close to, or, um, a grandparent, but honestly, you know, I was really intentional about, um, being as inclusive as possible with these, you know, I, I made sure never to write house, that it was mm -hmm. home and different things like that, because not every child lives that same, that same, you know, American dream or whatever you want to call it. Like everyone lives differently and, and has different people in their lives. And, um, that was something. So I, part of my master's was in, um, it, it was a specialist specialization in social justice. So for me, that's always been something that, um, I wanted to try to include as many people as possible, because we don't all look the same and, and we don't have to, and we shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah. So grandparents, aunts, uncles, um, this book is really geared towards kind of like a five to eight, nine ish range. Um, I actually just finished the manuscript for the, uh, eight to 11 year olds. Um, I was working with a play therapist on it and a little bit different. I mean, it's similar, but it's a little bit different approach with some things, um, and then we'll be working on the next age, but it's really, how do we keep this conversation going? How do we keep the connection flowing as our children get older and older? And there's, um, there's never a bad time to start either. No, right? I love it because it's really, you know, we always talk about like how you were saying academic intelligence, you know, meeting these markers and, and then there's, um, then there's emotional intelligence that we don't have the same, uh, we don't have the same learning and teaching of it in, in, in a, in a structured way. Like this is really seems like an emotional activity that is creating a greater emotional intelligence. Absolutely. And I think from, from my perspective, that's, that is how we connect to each other. If we don't have First, we have to have the understanding of ourselves. And I think that there's been a really great push for that in the past few years with mental health and um, a lot of a lot of that work. Now, the next step is taking what we've learned about ourselves 
and bringing that together. How do we build the bridges to each other? How do, I mean, the fact that we're able to have this conversation together is huge, right? Um, but we can't hold it all in in order to live as, as social creatures as we are as humans, we have to connect. We have to have have these moments to share an understanding of ourselves and bearing of our souls <laughs> um, to really move forward with anything. Um, you know, it. I, I'm just seeing how divisive things are. That's part of what breaks my heart for my kids is to see what I, I want to help build a generation that sees each other, that really sees each other and together can work together to, to solve problems, to, um, to build these real relationships that are based in love of ourselves and love of each other that help us grow in so many different ways. Hmm, I love that. Um, so aside from your next endeavors of the different age group, where else do you see yourself going with this? What, what else would you like to to do. I know that's you've got some stuff ahead just with these different age groups that you're yeah. still working on, but is there anything else you really want to um, launch into? Um, yeah. So there's a few things. One of the things I've always wanted to do was actually create like a retreat type thing for families to come to, um, whether it be a long weekend or a week or whatever it is, but to really have this intentional programming for families to connect to each other and that doesn't necessarily have to be just parent to child, um, but I, you know, it can be the entire family. And I want to have those, some kind of retreat along those lines to really help. Um, I'm working on some parenting materials because I think there's, um, I know there is a lack of, I mean, mom guilt is a thing, right? <laughs> um, and saying that my way is the right way. There's, there's no way that your way can possibly be the right way. Um, so how do we start developing connections between ourselves and between us as parents? Um, so I'm working on some parenting programming um, that can be used in, in different centers. Um, so hopefully getting that out in the springtime. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's really sort of through those types of things. Um, and it's, I will tell you, honestly, it's been, it's been the hardest for me to um, sort of, uh, socialize it in a way that feels real and authentic for me. I love having these conversations because it, I really connecting as we're talking. Right. Um, but then social media feels like, Oh, I don't want to suck you all in. Like <laughs> get out and do the things, get out and do your life and be and connect and do that. Cause you know, um, yeah, it's, it's very, it's yeah. like a, a oxymoronic that, <laughs> Hey, here, let me show you some things, but really I want you to, 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 to disengage from uh, being on social media because it can be a time suck and it can also be, like you said, not enabling the action that you really want. Like you're saying with getting back to your eulogy, like who do you want, mm -hmm. who do you want to be and who, what kind of impact do you want to have? And, mm -hmm. and we are always contending with that impact when we're passively engaging on things or watching other people, right? It's really like, how can we take these lessons that you've compiled together in, in a really beautiful format and, and then implement them. Yeah. And that's actually the last thing I, I'm working on a weekend uh, eulogy program. Um, so waking up after eulogy uh, is something I'm working on just to help. It helped me tremendously. It changed my life. Um, and 
working with others to go through the process of what that looks like and then how to to move forward with sort of this new self-understanding and new self-knowledge. Um, yeah, I think for a lot of people, I've, I've done that before in the form of like a meditation where you kind of imagine yourself sitting by your grave and you're like, what are you being remembered? Like what is going to be your um, epithet? What is what is like on the gravestone that that is symbolic of how you lived your life? I don't think, and people think of that, like people are scared of death. They don't want to talk about it, much less think about it. But it's like actually by realizing the finite nature of our life, it actually inspires us to do something because we know there is an end. And, and, and to that, in that vein, it's like, well, let's, let's do what we can while we are here to be true to who, who we are and what, and what our passions are. And and you are clearly doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I just, I hope to wake for me. I think that the most important part is once we start waking up is when we can bring the real gifts that we were meant to share with this world. And I just got goosebumps. Sorry. But like, I, I mm-hmm. just knowing that my kids can really share the, who they are and why they're here. Those are the game changers. That's that stuff changes the world when what we're here for and what we're meant to do here, we can actually share that. I truly believe that that is what changes the world for the mm. better. So Amen. that's what I want to help. Well, Eileen, <laughs> I'm so happy that you are no longer invisible and you're sharing all of your, your big heart with everyone. Can you tell everybody where they can find out more about you and find this amazing, um, the Us Journal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely come visit my website, uh, www.lovedasyouare.co. I love that. I love that. Loved as you are. <laughs> yeah. See, those kind of things are really small, but significant because you think, oh, I'm going to somewhere really wonderful when I go on this website. <laughs> yeah. And that's the goal. I want people to feel loved mm-hmm. as they are. You know, they're worthy of being loved mm. as they are. So, um, uh, yeah, well, come by, come visit, come by. go check it out. <laughs> I think this is an amazing opportunity for so many people, especially, um, if you are a parent figure and you want to parent differently, you know, again, we're never like blaming it's, it's like we're evolving and we want to evolve and, and evolve ourselves and then help our children to do that by giving them real, real tools to, to be the, um, be the love and be the kindness because they're so connected to their own emotional state. So thank you so much for doing this, Eileen. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. All right. Well, and as everybody is listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.